Good evening. Are we on here? Oh, Seth, thank you so much for leading us. Uh, what a gift. Uh, it is uh, almost 11 o'clock in New York City right now, and so um, I'm a bit tired, but here we are. It is, it is great to be here. Thank you so much for, for having me speak here at your, your first... Uh, <laughs> A little bit of pressure here, uh, your, your first one here, but what, what a gift. Uh, uh, I, I thank God for, for you, Ben, and for Shauna and your, your gracious hospitality. Uh, I met um, with, Sean, uh, with, with Shauna and Ben and Lindsay uh, a number of months ago in Queens, and uh, they were in town, and we sat in my office and had a great time just connecting, and so to be here is just a, a real gift. I'm grateful for the hospitality and your ger- the generosity of your church as well. My wife Rosie's here. Our, our 10-year-old daughter Karis is here. Our four-year-old son Nathan is here as well. They got out of school on a, on a Friday and a Monday, and so we're the best parents ever, and so we are, and so they're thrilled to be here, and, and we're thrilled to be here as, as well. Uh, I have the the privilege of pastoring a church in Queens called New Life Fellowship. Uh, We're 31 years old. I've been at this church for 11 years. I've been the lead pastor for the past six years, and it is a beautiful place uh, in our part of the city. Uh, National Geographic has said that um, our church, where we're at, is in the most uh, diverse zip code in the world. There's over 75 nations represented in our church, 123 languages spoken at the nearby hospital. To take out $20 at the nearby ATM, there's about 20 options just to take out $20, and so it's, it's very confusing. And uh, with all the beauty that comes with that kind of experience, uh, whenever there are challenges outside of our uh, community, we feel that very profoundly within our community. And so whenever there is uh, an earthquake in the Philippines, we feel that in our community. Whenever there's tensions in Indonesia, we feel that in our community. We have Black Lives Matter protesters and Blue Lives Matter uh, congregants in our community. 30%, I would say, voted for Donald Trump. 30% voted for Hillary Clinton. 20% probably for Batman. And the rest uh, abstained. (laughs) And so um, whatever tensions are out there come in here. Whenever the World Cup comes around, there's a lot of drama in my church. (laughs) Whenever the Olympics comes around, lots of problems in my church. And yet, uh, we taste something, I believe, of the kingdom of God uh, in our midst. And our goal as a church, one of our aspects of our mission is to bridge racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers. And um, it's something that we are committed to, out of which uh, we, we share our ministry. And so whenever I speak at a church for the first time, I like to share a little bit of my story before I go into our text, just so you get to know who I am a little bit, a little bit of how I came to Jesus. And then I'll share over the course of this weekend some of the things that God has done in me over the past 20 years of following him. I grew up in a home that was actually not a Christian home. It was actually a home that was quite indifferent uh, towards Christianity. Uh, My father was a bit uh, antagonistic to Christianity. Uh, My mother was apathetic towards Christianity. And so as a result, I didn't go to church at all. My father was a weekend alcoholic, and so he thought he was too bad to go to church. My mother was a moralist. She thought she was too good to go to church. And so consequently, uh, they did not bring me to church, but they would send me to church with my grandparents who lived down the block. And at first, I used to think that they were sending me to church because they were interested in my spiritual development. 
It just so happens that because my grandparents went to a Latino uh, Pentecostal church that had five-hour services, that's good child care right there. And so you get a lot done in five hours. Laundry, movie, dishes, long walks. And so they would send me to this church with my grandparents, this small uh, Latino church called Arca de Salvación, Ark of Salvation. And so I'd go to this church as a kid, uh, thinking uh, Jesus uh, was Puerto Rican, uh, and, and, and uh, to this day, I believe he's got to be a Puerto Rican Jewish carpenter. Uh, they said, bienvenido, they said, todo lo puedo en Cristo que me fortalece, they call him Jesus, I mean, yeah, he's got to be Puerto Rican, and so I'd go, and uh, the only time my parents would come to church was two occasions, of course, it was Easter and Christmas. And whenever they came to church, I was always in the church play, probably like the lame man or the blind man, and I would be healed in the service. I started walking. I started like I could see my mother's weeping on the side. And that was the only reason that they came to church, to see their son in the play. And so I would go to this church for a number of years. But by the time I was about 10 or 11 years old, I really wasn't getting much out of it. I said, Mom, Dad, could I stop going to church? And they said, yes, you don't have to go to church anymore. And it was at that moment that I felt I was saved. It was like saved from the church, but I was like saved. Yes, I don't have to go to church any longer. But fast forward about six or seven years, I found myself back in the church as a 17-year-old. And the reason I found myself back in the church as a 17-year-old was because I started dating a pastor's daughter. And that'll get you back in the church very quickly, uh, dating a pastor's daughter. And so the pastor said, the only way you can date my daughter is if you come to church. I said, what time, pastor? I'll, I'll be there. I'm there. And so he told me where it was. He wanted me to be there. And so I would come at the end of the service. I'd sneak in. It was an Assemblies of God church. And I'd be in the back of the church. I'd sneak in. And he'd say, Rich, I'm so happy to see you. How was the service? I said, fantastic. He said, what was it about? And because it was like an Assemblies of God, Pentecost, it was like sin and like hell and like Jesus. You know, it was always that week, sin and hell and Jesus. He was like, that's right. That's right. Amen. That's right. That's what it was about, even though I came the last five minutes of, of, of the service. And so here I am at this church. I'm dating this pastor's daughter for a number of years, and then the relationship comes to an end. And there's nothing like teenage heartbreak that'll bring you to Jesus. Nothing like teenage heartbreak that'll bring you to Jesus. So my heart is broken one day. Here I am as a 19-year-old, and this relationship comes to an end. And this girl I was dating lived in Queens. I lived in Brooklyn. Just that means about an hour walk, okay? And so I'm all depressed that this relationship ends. And I just walk from Queens to Brooklyn. And when I get home, I notice that my, my four siblings, all younger than I am, are not home. Uh, they're, they're at this church that I used to go to called Arca de Salvación. It was interesting because we didn't go to church as a family. We never went to church at all. And so I asked my father, I said, who was coming off of a hangover and, and watching the Jets play football at the same time, not a good combination there. And, and I said, where's Jason? Where's Laura? Where's Michelle? Where's Melissa? They said, oh, they, they're at this church down the block. And I said, why? We never go. Why are they at church? And they said, oh, there's some special speaker there, and your cousins invited them, and they decided to go. 
And so at that moment, something, I, I was all depressed. I was like sad. I was like, you know what? Let me just go to the church. Maybe someone will pray for me. And so I walked two blocks to go into this church that I used to go to where I was the lame man and the blind man when I was five and six years old. And I walked back in. And as I'm walking in, there is this, this revival happening within the church. The church probably had about 100 people. Typically, there was about 30. There was about 100 here, a small, narrow church. And as I'm walking in, they're, they're singing a song in good Latino Pentecostal fashion about Satan, that Satan has to leave in the name of Jesus. You know, us Latinos, we talk more about Satan than we do about Jesus. And so we're just like, Satan has to leave. And so I walk in hoping they're not talking about me. You know, I just walked into church. And so I sit in the back. And, and as five, ten minutes after I sit in the back, my father walks in with my mother, which was a surprise. What was, what was the bigger surprise was how he came in. He came in with sneakers and no socks and pajama pants and a tank top and a Mets jacket and a Mets hat. That's how he came to church. Very strange. I was thinking, is he high still? You know, he just came to church just like that. My mother came with him. I would ask him later, Dad, why'd you come to church? You never go to church. And he said, the strangest thing happened. He said, when you walked out of our house, I don't know if the voice was audible or inaudible, but I heard two words and the two words were follow him. And he said, I don't know if that meant follow Rich or follow Jesus, but because Rich was going to church to see Jesus, I just thought, you know, let me just follow you. <laughs> I, said, I said, well done, Dad, well done. And so he walks into this church with my mother, and not soon after he walks in, there's the preacher who gets up, and this preacher starts preaching from the book of Ezekiel 37 about a valley of dry bones. And he looked out into the congregation and said, some of your lives, you're like this valley. The, 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 the dry bones were a living army. They were the people of God. But because of rebellion, because of sin, they go into exile. And, and now they are represented not by a powerful army, but by dry, desolate bones that have been fragmented in the middle of a valley. And this preacher gets up and says, some of your lives, you're like this valley. You're fragmented. You're broken. You're dry. He says, some of you, your families are like this valley. You're fragmented, you're broken, you're dry. And what God tells Ezekiel, he says, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, I don't know. He says, breathe, prophesy to these bones that they may come together. Ezekiel begins to prophesy, and these bones that have been desolate and dry and lifeless start coming together into the army. And this preacher gets up and says, God wants to do the same thing with your life if you would let him breathe in you. And so he said, who would like the breath of God? Who wants God to breathe on your life? And one by one, family members began to respond to this invitation. My brother responded, and my sister responded, and my other sister responded, and my other sister responded. And I responded, and my mother responded, and my father responded. And my cousin responded, another cousin responded, an uncle responded, and an aunt responded. Another uncle responded, another aunt responded, another cousin responded, another cousin responded. God's presence was moving so powerfully. Listen, if my dog was there, my dog would have responded. <laughs> and I had a bad chihuahua named Milo. Uh, he, he, a lot of sin in him. He would have, Lord, forgive me too, Lord, for all I've, all I've, all I've done. And in one summer August night in 1999 in East New York, Brooklyn, uh, 15 family members come to Jesus Christ. 15 family members come to Jesus Christ. We're at the altar weeping. We, 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 said, we didn't know what we were saying yes to, but we say yes to breathe on 
us. When we got home, it was very awkward. We never cry like that in front of each other. No one's making eye contact. Everyone's just like, this is very awkward. We didn't know what to do except let's go back again. And so here I am some 20 years later following Jesus. And one thing I know about Jesus is that Jesus in a moment can transform us. In a moment, he can transform our lives. And at the same time, he invites us to what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction, where we allow God access to the interiority of our lives, to our souls, so that God could do deep, penetrating work. And so this is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the God who transforms us from the inside out. At our church, I like to say we should have a sign in the front of our building that says, enter at your own risk. Because we are inviting people to go places that they typically would not go. And so if I could say that today as your retreat speaker, uh, we should have a sign tomorrow morning, enter at your own risk, because I think Jesus wants to do some deep work in us this weekend. I want to talk to you about along the lines of a theme called explore the iceberg, explore the iceberg. And there's a passage of scripture I want to look at in Psalm 139. I want to read two verses and I'm going to come back to it in a moment. But I want you to hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. And just hear the word of the Lord here. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any way of pain in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus, Lord, I ask that you would now speak to us through the power of your spirit. Open our eyes that we may see what you want us to see. Open our ears that we may hear what you want us to hear. Open our hearts that we would receive every gift you have for us this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Every now and then when I'm home, like many of you do, I channel surf, sit on the couch and channel surf. And there's certain movies that when they come on, no matter what point in the movie it's at, I stop whatever I'm doing and I watch. When Shawshank Redemption comes on, I stop whatever I'm doing and I watch. When Gladiator comes on, I stop whatever I'm doing and I watch. When The Godfather comes on, I stop whatever I'm doing and I watch. When Hitch comes on, I stop whatever I'm doing (laughs) and I watch. But there's another movie that I stop whatever I'm doing and I watch, and, and, and the movie is, it, it's Titanic, if I can be honest with you, it's, it's Titanic. Yeah, I said it, Titanic. Titanic is uh, the, the first movie to hit the billion dollar mark. It's been in the news recently because of, of Avengers and all that, but, but Titanic, whenever it comes on, I stop whatever I'm doing because I am just uh, taken aback by the contrast on the ship. As you've seen this movie, you know the story, the Titanic sets out to sea, and after a few days out in sea, it it hits an iceberg. And what you see after it hits an iceberg is this terrifying contrast. On the upper decks of the ship, there is opulence, there's abundance, there's joy, there's festivity, there's good food. People are having a great time on the upper deck of the iceberg. But on the lower deck of the iceberg, on the same ship, there is chaos. There's absolute destruction. There are people who are about to lose their lives. How could it be that in the same ship, there, there's just there's on the top, there's opulence, there's abundance, there, there's festivity, but on the lower end of the deck, there is just utter chaos. 
And, and, and at, at, towards the, 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 what begins to happen is, as the movie progresses, the issues on the lower deck begin to rise to the surface to impact the issues on the upper deck, so much so, I, I don't want to spoil it for you, so much so that, that the, it, it just, the ship just, just, it just goes down. I mean, you should know this by now, yes? You should, there's certain things you should know by now. Darth Vader is Luke's father while I'm at it. Sixth Sense, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. He was dead the whole time. Yeah, 20 years. And so what begins to happen is the stuff on the lower deck comes up to the upper deck that the ship capsizes. And whenever I watch this movie, I think to myself, what a metaphor of the spiritual life. What a metaphor of our lives. Because for many of us, our lives are like the Titanic after the iceberg hits it. So after it hits the iceberg. That we, there's a tale of two different ships. That in the upper deck of our lives, we look wonderful. We look great. We look happy. We know the songs. We know when to raise our hands. We, we know the order of service. We know what to say. But also the reality of our lives is there is an inner reality to us, a lower deck, if you will, that's often filled with lots of chaos, unresolved issues, wounds that have not been named. And what begins to happen sooner or later, if the stuff, if we don't take the time to go to the lower deck of our lives, sooner or later, we will capsize. This is why our logo as a church is actually an iceberg. Ironically, it's the iceberg. And the iceberg is really about 90% of an iceberg is not seen, 10% of an iceberg is seen. And, and what Jesus wants to do is not just to transform the, what we, the 10% behavior modification. What Jesus wants to transform is all the stuff that we cannot see. Which is why one of the, 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 one of the big premises of our, of our discipleship is this idea that, that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. That is, it is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. That's a very uh, concise way of saying we can know all the Bible in the world. But if we get defensive and touchy whenever someone offers a word of criticism to us, it's not an indication of our spiritual maturity. It's an indication of our spiritual immaturity. That is, we can come to church every Sunday and volunteer in every capacity and, and pray and do all these things here. But if we do not know how to uh, deal with the inner realities of our soul, our grief, our sadness, our rage, our anger, if we do not, not know how to bring some form of congruence to it, it's not an indication of our spiritual maturity. It's an indication of our spiritual immaturity. And so there are various facets to our lives. We are, uh, we are intellectual beings. We are spiritual beings. We are social beings, we are physical beings, but we are also emotional beings. And by that, I mean, we are people who are to pay attention to what's happening on the inside of our souls. And yet the reality of our lives is this. We live dangerously unaware of what's happening within us. Dangerously unaware of what's happening within us. And consequently, we don't take the time to go to the lower deck of our lives. I think about what Dan Allender said. Dan Allender said these words, uh, writer, psychologist. He said, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions, our inner world ushers us into reality. And reality is where we meet God. 
Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. However, we often turn a deaf ear through emotional denial, distortion, or disengagement. We are frightened and ashamed of what leaks into our consciousness. In neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God, which Seth was leading us just a few moments ago with. And so it's along those lines that we look at Psalm 139, because what we see with David is he was very familiar with the inner terrain of his life. He was very familiar with the lower deck of his experience. He was very familiar with the interiority of his following of God. The book of Psalms is the prayer book for the people of God. And if we want to grow in our lives with God, if we want to uh, have our lives with God deepened, we need to uh, pray the Psalms. We need the Psalms. Eugene Peterson has said it this way. He says, if we wish to develop in the life of faith, to mature in our humanity, to glorify God with our entire heart, the Psalms are necessary. We cannot bypass the Psalms. They are God's gift to train us in prayer that is comprehensive and honest. And so the book of Psalms, when you look at it, is not just filled with words of worship to God. The book of Psalms shows us the very large human spectrum of emotion, the spectrum of human existence. And what you notice over and over again when you read the Psalms is that these are not nursery rhymes. These are raw, authentic songs to give expression to what's happening in the psalmist's life. Actually, Two-thirds of the psalms are psalms of lament. Think about that for a moment. A hundred out of 150 psalms are psalms of lament, disorientation, grief. How long, O Lord? Where are you, O Lord? God, will you answer me? Two-thirds are psalms of lament. And so these words are to become our words And what we see throughout this passage is the psalmist giving voice to what's happening on the inside. Now, Psalm 139 begins with the psalmist saying these words, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. The psalmist is overwhelmed, not with grief, but with joy that God knows everything about him. And you could be sure that God knows everything about you. And yet the psalmist claims this as a blessing that God knows everything about him. The psalmist goes on. He he says, he says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, you are there. These are not words of stalking. These are not words of just NSA stalking. And this is, this is the psalmist. This is David saying, you know everything about me. My joy and my pain. My lust and my fears. You know everything about me and you claim me as your own. He continues, verse 13. For you form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You see, throughout the the first 13 verses, David is naming something about God. You know me, you know me, you know me. But at the end of the chapter, David seems keenly aware of something that we all need to wrestle with. That although God knows everything about him... David doesn't know everything about himself. And so the psalm now takes a turn. Lord, you know everything about me, but I don't know everything about me. 
Therefore, show me me. Search me, O God, and know me. Test me, know my, see if there is any way of pain in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is an invitation, this psalm, very simply to listen to our interior world. We have an exterior world and we have an interior world. And this psalm is an invitation to listen to my interior world. Search me, Lord. Now, the challenge with this is, this is not how we typically live. We often live our lives avoiding ourselves, not inviting God to show us what we cannot see, because it's difficult to look within. Much of our workaholism is a strategy to avoid ourselves. I often think much of Christianity is just one big conspiracy of avoiding ourselves, that we get involved in everything except asking God to search us, to show me what you see. Entire families and cultures are oriented around avoiding ourselves. And so the reality is, is it painful to avoid ourselves, to, to, to look within? Absolutely. But do you know what's more painful? Not looking within, because sooner or later, it catches up. It reminds me of the first or the third car I had. The first car I purchased, I was uh, maybe about 20 years old, and um, uh, I was looking for a car, had saved some money, and I went to my uncle who, who had this auto body shop, and I was looking for the nephew discount, didn't get it, and, and, and he sold me this 1989 Oldsmobile, Oldsmobile Royale, uh, ugly looking car, and, 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 and within about two months, the car just died on me, it, it, it just died on me, and so I saved some more pennies, and I was looking for another car, I heard about a guy in the church, he was selling his 1988 Nissan Sentra, I was looking for the brother in Christ discount, didn't get it, and, and, and so I paid, and after a few months, the car broke down again, and so I saved some more money, I was about to go to college, and, and so I finally bought this 1995 Nissan Altima, had about 95,000 miles, but it, but it was still my car, it, it ran, and I was, I was happy as I could be. Now, one thing you have to know about me is I don't know much about cars. Uh, I could put gas in it. Uh, I, in New York, I don't know about San Francisco. You have to be a great parallel parker in New York City. And so, I mean, I'm a parallel parker, all right? So I, can, I know my stuff. And, and so I can do all that. But the rest of the stuff, uh, I don't know much about cars. And so one day I'm driving up on the campus at college, and I start hearing this sound. And it was like a, I'm like, this is awful. And I'm driving, I don't know what to do about it, but this is just awful. And so one full day of, I'm thinking, this is terrible. The next day is a, this is summertime, and and it's still bad. And so I said, I'm tired of the sound. I got to do something about it. And I decided, I know what I'll do. I'll just lift the windows up. And I just lifted all the windows up and blasted the music, that was so much better. And, and it was still, but I was just driving. I couldn't hear it. The next day, it was a Sunday. I was driving from upstate New York down to Brooklyn. I'm on the highway, and this thing is increasing now, the sound. 
So much so where it must have been like an air bubble in the tire. So And the tire just explodes on the highway. Boom, just on the highway. And I heard the boom. I'm from Brooklyn. I think it's a gunshot. I duck. You know, so, you know, so I just <laughs> And the tire just explodes on the highway. And someone fixed it and all that there. And I thought, as I thought about that, I thought, well, what an image for our lives. Because there's a lot of hoo-hoo-hoo going on. On the inside of our lives, a lot of a lot of stuff that we have not, that we have just lifted the windows up of our lives to ignore. Stuff in our families, relationship conflicts, stuff on the inside that you haven't been able to name or confess. But sooner or later, the who 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 explodes. And so, is it hard to look within? Without question. But what's more disastrous? It's not looking within. Search me, Lord, and show me. Lead me in the way everlasting. We have a hard time looking within for many reasons. We often have uh, uh, the pace of life makes it very difficult for us to look within. And tomorrow I'm going to talk about having rhythms that that sustain us for the long haul. But we often have a pace of life that's very difficult. We often have rules from our families about what we have permission to feel and not. I come from a Latino family where we don't do sadness, we do salsa. That's what we do. That's, that's what we do. And, and so, and, and you, you, you put on top of that my, some of the, the optimism uh, of my parents, optimism of my mother in particular, where I get most of my optimism from, which is another word for living in denial. And, and my, you know, my, my mother is just very optimistic about life. She always sees the cup half full, and so whenever there's pain, she has no language for it. And so a girl would break up with me, and I'd be all depressed, and she said, baby, baby, there's a million fish in the sea, and I said, mom, I wanted that fish. That's the fish I wanted, mom, you know? You know, my dog died. You, you, you should be happy to have two dogs that died. But my, my, that was my dog. That was my dog. My, so, and so you, you, you put together just the optimism uh, plus the culture on it. And then you baptize it in some Bible verses. And then you have a recipe for people not living in reality. The churches that say, rejoice in the Lord always. This is the only verse they know. Rejoice in the, ver- in the Lord always. And again, I say Rejoice. And so when depression comes your way, are you rejoicing? Loss comes your way. Are you praising God? Uh, There's two-thirds of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. What is it? Is it rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians 4, 4? Or is it how long, O Lord, Psalm 13? The answer is yes. We're holding these in dynamic tension with each other. And yet we have rules. We have the pace of life. But reality is we often have fear that keeps us from looking within. Because we ask ourselves, if I look within, what will I find? Isn't this why you haven't gone to the doctor in a while? Isn't this why you haven't been able to make a decision to investigate certain things that need to be investigated? What will I hear? What will come to the surface? And so because of that, of the fear that lurks within, we don't take the time to look within. But here's, the, here, here's the, the thing I want to encourage you with. When we go looking within, we don't go alone. We go with 
the God of the universe. This is Richard Rohr, Franciscan priest. He he said it this way. He said, many avoid the path of self-knowledge because they are afraid of being swallowed up in their own abysses. But Christians have confidence that Christ has lived through all the abysses of human life and that he goes with us when we dare to engage in sincere confrontation with ourselves, he says, because God loves us unconditionally along with our dark sides, we don't need to dodge ourselves. In the light of this love, the pain of self-knowledge can be at the same time the beginning of our healing. We don't have to fear. Because if there's anyone who knows what it's like to go down a dark hole, it's Jesus Christ. And if there's anyone who knows how to come up in resurrection power, it is Jesus Christ. And so you don't go alone. He goes with you. Therefore, you have nothing to fear, brothers and sisters. You can say like David said in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war shall rise against me, and this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies round about me. Therefore shall I offer praises in his tabernacle of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. But hear that first line. The Lord is my light and myself. Whom shall I fear? When I go looking within, I go looking within, not because I go alone, but because I go with the God who knows how to bring me out. And so, search me, Lord, and show me. This psalm invites us to ask a very simple question. Lord, what are you saying to me through me? This is a, this is a psalm that, of, of revelation, Search me, Lord, and show me. What are you saying to me and through me? Now, I want to lead us in a moment in a very simple exercise. And then we'll close with some worship. But I want to just mention a couple of things here about our refusal to look within. Our refusal to truly make sense out of our rage and the sadness and fear that we feel. And I want to just mention a couple of things that, uh, number one, that, that our unprocessed emotions don't die. They just manifest in different ways. They manifest in the rage that you feel, and the panic attacks that come your way, in, in, in depression, in lying, it, it, it comes out. In addictions, it comes out. This is why whenever your body is at, at our church at New Life in Queens, we like to say that your body is not a minor prophet, it's a major prophet. Your body is speaking to you. Why is your eye twitching? You know, what, what's, what might be happening on the inside? Because your body is speaking to you. But our unprocessed emotions don't die. Secondly, any kind of awareness is necessary for ongoing transformation. Awareness is necessary for ongoing transformation. 
Why is it important to look within? Because healthy community is created when we are living in reality with ourselves. How can you enter into the pain of someone else when you have not experienced and felt your own pain? It's impossible to do that. And so healthy community is created when we look within. And lastly, it is God who speaks to us through what's happening on the inside. God speaks to us through his word. God speaks to us in worship. God speaks to us through, through, through prayer. But God speaks to us through what's happening on the inside of our souls as well, if we would pay attention to what God is saying. And so then, I want to lead you in something to help us pay attention. And maybe, Seth, this would be a good time for you to just come up, and maybe you can play in the, in the background here. But I, I want to offer four questions and what I want to invite you to do is, if you have something to write with or write on, you can do that. Um, if you have your phone, uh, if you have like a note section, um, you can go there as well. But I want to invite you to consider four very simple questions. And my prayer is that this weekend and beyond, this becomes a tool and a framework to help you live out Psalm 139 in very practical ways. The first question, very simply, is what are you mad about? What are you mad about? And I want to just give you a moment to just to name that for a second. What are you mad about? Something that didn't go your way? Unmet expectations? Something you were sinned against? I want you just to name that. Maybe try to name it on paper. Just, just reflect for a moment. I want to give you maybe 30, 40 seconds. Just, and just name that and offer that as a prayer before the Lord. Lord, this is, I'm mad about this. And just lift that up to the Lord. The second question is, what are you sad about? What's brought you grief? Maybe loss has come your way. Maybe you lost a job. A relationship came to an end. Financial struggle. A marriage that's not unfolding as you thought it would. What do you say? Just name it before God. Just lift it up to Him. What are you sad about?
Take another 10 seconds and we'll go to the third question. Third question is, what are you anxious about? What's causing fear? Sick in your body? Anxious about the future? Can't see what's happening next? What, maybe it's a short prayer you lift up to God. But give the Lord access. Search me, Lord. Show me. I'm afraid of this. And just name it. last question is, what are you glad about? What's bringing you joy? Maybe it's just that you're here. Lord, I'm, I'm so happy I'm here, surrounded by your creation with these people. And I'm anticipating something wonderful happening. This, maybe just name that, just lift that uh, words of gladness and joy to the Lord. As we close, fellas in the back, if you can put up that image of the ship sinking again for me. Some of you came to this retreat and your life is like that image of the Titanic. That you're just, you're sinking. There's some stuff that's been happening in the lower deck of your life that you just haven't been paying attention to. And yet, here's, here, here's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is this does not have to be your future. God loves you with an everlasting love. Jesus Christ died for us, resurrected in power. He's for, he offers forgiveness, he offers grace, and he offers transformation. But transformation only happens when we live in reality, not when we live in illusion. And so, Lord... This weekend, help us to live in reality so that your spirit might transform everything that we name, everything we bring to the surface. You would begin to heal, Lord, free us from, Lord, deliver us, Lord, transform us, Lord. And so like David, give us the courage to say, search me, lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, not just so I could have greater self-awareness. No, my goal is not just greater self-awareness, Lord. My, my goal is transformation in you. And so as we sing to you, 
May you continue to do the work that only you can do. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's all stand. Let's sing together.